Hi, my name's Ryan Perry. I'm the pastor at Seneca Baptist Church, and we are so thankful that you're joining us in this online resource. Our prayer for you is that this resource would not replace your active involvement in a local body of Christ, but would rather be supplemental to it. If you are interested in getting further connected to the ministry of Seneca Baptist Church or to giving financially, please visit our website, SenecaBaptist.org. Thank you and enjoy. All right. Turn your eyes. Peace. Today we're looking at peace. So if you've got your Bible, open your Bible to Genesis chapter 14. Genesis chapter 14 verse 17 is where we're going to be beginning. And I want you to open a Bible. Uh, Always encourage you to bring your own. If you didn't bring one, there's a hardback black one in the pew rack in front of you. Please open that. Um, I think you'll be able to follow along on the screen also, but... uh, We always encourage you to open it up, and if you want to kind of hold your place there and go ahead and turn to Hebrews chapter 7, we'll be going from those two places a good bit straight away. Peace. Doesn't peace seem to be a a thing our world is lacking in these days? I don't know about you, but the years 2020 and 2021, when you just mention them, they don't invoke the thought of peace, do they? But man, how much do we need peace in our hearts? And today we're going to talk about how in the world we can have that peace. And so, if you'll grab your Bible, I'm going to ask you to stand to honor the reading of God's Word with me. Genesis 
We're going to read four verses. It says, after his return, the his is Abraham, Abram at this time. After his return from the defeat of Shedor Laomer, the kings who were with him, the king of Sodom, went out to meet him at the valley of Sheva, that is the king's valley. And Melchizedek, king of Salem, brought out bread and wine. He was priest of God Most High. And he blessed him and said, Blessed be Abram by God Most High, possessor of heaven and earth, and blessed be God Most High, who has delivered your enemies into your hand. And Abram gave him a tenth of everything. Let's pray. Father, would you come and teach us out of your word today? Father, thank you for those of our our church family and guests who are with us today. And we pray, Father, that we would hear from you, not a preacher. We pray, Father, for those who can't be with us today. I specifically lift up um, Miss Teresa Melton and Joe, uh, who are grieving the loss of her mother this week. And we just pray for them. And we ask that you'd comfort them and give them peace in the middle of this chaotic time. The peace that comes from God. Father, uh, there are many, many others who are not with us today, for some reason or another. But we do pray that they would experience your peace. Father, at Christmas, may you give us the discipline of stilling our hearts, calming our souls, quieting our our minds, so that we might focus on things that truly matter. Lord, we love you. God, we need you. And Holy Spirit, you are welcome here. Come and do a mighty work in Jesus' name. And everybody said... Amen. Please be seated. So peace. Peace is what we're talking about. And you might think to yourself, well, this is a really weird passage to talk about peace from. Well, last weekend we came from Genesis chapter 3, the the fall in the garden and the promises of hope in Genesis chapter 3, the first gospel ever to be presented in the Bible. And today we're going to look at this idea of peace and specifically the king of peace. And so we want to take a look today at this guy who I affectionately call Mysterious Mel, Melchizedek, Mysterious Mel. Um, there's a lot of talk about him, and we'll even see what the Bible says about Melchizedek. And uh, so we want to look at these passages once again. And so what we see is in this passage is that uh, Abram uh, gets done uh, from war. He comes back into the valley of Sheva. He's got the king of Sodom with him. And there's this gentleman, Melchizedek, who meets him in this valley and speaks to him. And it's just a weird, obscure passage. But what I want you to see today is that from the beginning of the Bible all the way to the very end of the Bible, every page, every word speaks to the name of Jesus Christ our Lord. From the beginning of the end, one Puritan theologian says, you cut the Bible anywhere and it bleeds the blood of Christ. And today, I want to show you Jesus in Genesis chapter 14. Are you okay with that? Amen? Well, I'm excited. I hope you are. So we're going to talk about who is Melchizedek and reveal to you that Jesus is the king of peace. Who is Melchizedek? Look at verse 18. 18 says, and Melchizedek, king of Salem brought out bread and wine. He was priest of God Most High. Now, we learn three things here about Melchizedek. Number one, his name is significant. Melchizedek. So it's, uh, it's two words, two Hebrew words joined together. Melchi, which is king, 
And tzedek, which is righteousness, Melchizedek, uh, Melchizedek as we say it. It means king of righteousness, or literally king of our righteousness, so king of righteousness. And then he is described, he's given a name, and he is described as king of Salem. What's Salem sound familiar to in the Hebrew language, a familiar word? Shalom. Shalom. And shalom means peace. So in this passage, we learn that he is king of righteousness and king of peace. Isn't that interesting? And it says he is priest of God most high. Now, you Bible scholars out there, you might be thinking to yourself, well, the priesthood hasn't even been established yet and won't be for another 500 or so years. How is he priest of God Most High when the priesthood given by God has not been yet established? I'm glad you asked that question because that's exactly what's next in my notes. That is the idea that we want to look at. He is king of righteousness, he is king of peace, and he is priest of God Most High. And he brings out something very interesting to Abram and the king of Sodom, which is bread and wine. Bread and wine. And so, I want you to understand those, or hear those three questions, and now let's flip to Hebrews chapter 7, where we will look at what the author of Hebrews says about this fellow, mysterious Mel. Hebrews chapter 7, are you there? Amen? It says in verse 1, For this Melchizedek, king of Salem, priest of the Most High God, met Abraham returning from the slaughter of the kings, and he blessed him. And, Ab- and to him Abraham apportioned a tenth part of everything. Now I want you to note that this is where the tithe came from. And who is Abram apportioning a tenth of everything to? Melchizedek. Okay? So this is no regular feller. This is what it continues to say. Verse 2, to him Abraham apportioned a tenth part of everything. He is first, by translation of his name, king of righteousness. And then he is also king of Salem, that is king of peace. Verse 3 says, he is without father or mother or genealogy, having neither beginning of days nor end of life, but resembling the Son of God, he continues a priest forever. Now, here's what I want you to understand. The Hebrew uh, mindset, this Hebrew author uh, writing to the Hebrews, the Jews, is giving some context to you and to me about Melchizedek in Genesis chapter 14 as to who he is. He's king of righteousness. He's king of peace. He is a priest forever. And the author of the Hebrews says it like this. He has no Uh, genealogy, no mother, no father. He has no beginning of days nor end of life, and so he continues a priest forever. Now, listen to me, church family. If he's got no genealogy, no father, no mother, he has no beginning, and he has no end, who is he? He is God in the flesh, namely Jesus. Theologians will call this a Christophany. An Old Testament revelation of God in the flesh. Are you seeing that with me? I'm not trying to make stuff up, okay? I want you to see this. He's king of Salem, king of peace. 
He's king of Melchizedek, king of righteousness, and he is a priest forever of God most high. He's a priest forever. He is king of righteousness, king of peace, and eternal priest. He is none other than Jesus Christ in the flesh in the Old Testament. Now, we need to remember exactly what the, uh, the Peñas read to us just a few minutes ago when uh, Mr. Felix read Luke chapter 2, verse 11 through 14. I believe we've got it up on the screen. Jesus was uh, announced by the angels, and it said, Unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord, and this will be a sign for you. You will find a, a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger, and suddenly there was the angel, or with the angel, a multitude of heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace, peace among those with whom He is pleased. Peace. The angels announced that Jesus came to usher in a reign of peace, not a a peace of man, but the reign of a heavenly peace into the chaos of a sin-filled world. Let me ask the question, does our sin-filled, chaotic world need the reign of a heavenly peace to invade it? Isaiah chapter 9, we read just a few moments ago, Miss Lois said that he will be named, this Messiah to come, the Christ to come. He will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, what? Prince, Peace. That's right. And so what I want you to see in our passage today in Genesis chapter 14 is that Melchizedek, he foreshadows the time when God's righteousness... And God's peace would come in the form of a man and restore God's righteousness and God's peace to a fallen humanity. I mean, just imagine the flow of the book of Genesis so far. Genesis chapter 1 and 2, creation and then the garden. And then chapter 3, fall. Chapter 4, Cain and Abel, sin goes further than it ever we could ever imagine that it went. It permeated every. Uh, family in every culture. Genesis chapter 5, God looks at the world and says, this is a sinful world. Genesis chapter 6, I regret that I've made the world and he destroys the world in a flood. Genesis chapter 9, there is a new creation in, in Noah whose name is rest. And there was no rest from Noah. There was no peace. Because as soon as, God, as, soon as Noah got off the boat, He sinned, and the world went awry again. In Genesis chapter 11, there's the Tower of Babel. Do you remember where they tried to build this uh, monument for their glory, for their namesake, and rebelling against God? In Genesis chapter 12, God makes a promise to Abram and says, I will bless you, and I will make your name great. Not because of a tall tower, but because because of my love for you. I will make your name great. And in you, Abram, will all the families of the earth be blessed. And sin continues. Now, you you don't have to go far reading the Bible to find out that the Bible's filled with sinful people. Amen? Uh, If if you think that the Bible's filled with heroes, don't be like one of the Bible characters. There's only one Bible character that you ought to strive to be like, and his name's Jesus. Every other one 
is sinful and broken. And so Melchizedek here is foreshadowing a time when the king of righteousness and the king of peace will come in the form of a man and, uh, form of a man and restore all things that sin has broken. And I want to ask, why do we need this peace? So there are two kinds of peace today that I want to talk about. There's a peace with God and the peace of God. Peace with God is the first thing that I want to talk about. Peace with God. So why do we need this peace with God? The, one of the last videos, or the, the second video that we saw, was almost confronting uh, about um, our state apart from Jesus. And this is what it says in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 to 3. And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked. Who's the you? Mankind. Was there anybody left out of that? Nope. And you, that's me, that's you, were dead in your trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world. You, we weren't following God. We are following the world. We were following the Spirit, or the, following the Prince of the power of the air, and the Spirit that's now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and we were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. It's not good news for us, is it, fam? It's not good news at all that we are children of wrath because we have chosen to follow everything and everyone but God. James chapter 4 says it like this, You adulterous people, do you, know, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Enmity. And it goes on to say, Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Guess what? We were enemies of God. If you don't believe it, look at what Paul says in Romans chapter 5, verse 10. This is the glory of the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's not that Jesus came to die for good people, but rather, in fact, 5.10 says, For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of His Son, much more now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by His life. Paul says, we're enemies. James says, we're enemies. This is why we need peace with God. We need peace with God because we're enemies of God. So how in the world is it that just this Jesus, this King of righteousness and King of peace, this Melchizedek, how is it that he accomplishes this peace with God. How can he be king of righteousness and king of peace? Because if you theologically think about it, the righteousness of God and the sinfulness of humanity cannot be at peace with one another, can they? How can there be the righteousness of God and the peace of God with a sinful and broken world? How is that even possible? Well, look at what happens in Genesis chapter 14. Verse 18 it says, And Melchizedek, king of Salem, brought out what? What did he bring? Is that familiar to us? We're going to do something odd. In just a moment, we're going to celebrate the Lord's Supper. This passage is very explicit. That what brings the righteousness of God and the peace of God is the bread of God and the wine of God. Are you with me, church? Let me make that really clear. When Matthew records 
Jesus' final supper, the institution of the Lord's Supper, in Matthew chapter 26, verse, or 26 verses 26 to 28, Matthew records Jesus saying this. He says, now as they were eating, Jesus took bread. Is that familiar? Brought out bread. The priest of the Most High God who was king of righteousness and king of peace. He brought out bread and wine, a foreshadowing of the one who would come to restore all things to himself. He brought out bread and wine. Jesus says, now as they were eating, Jesus took bread and after blessing it, broke it and gave it to the disciples. He said, take it, eat it. This is my body. Now another gospel writer says, which is broken for you. And he took a cup. What was the cup filled with? Wine. Took this cup filled with wine. And when he had given thanks, he gave it to them saying, Drink of it, all of you, for this is the, my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. See, Melchizedek is bringing out bread and wine. King of Salem, king of peace, king of righteousness, is bringing out bread and wine to Abram. And Jesus brings out bread and wine for you and for me so that the righteousness of God and the peace of God might meet in our lives. How can we be righteous? Bread and wine. Body of Christ, blood of Christ. How can we have peace with God? The body of Christ, the blood of Christ. How is it that the body of Christ broken for me can bring me peace? Because it's there in the body of Christ that God poured out his wrath in full on the sinfulness of humanity. God broke Jesus as the living bread of life. He broke him so that we would not have to be broken. He spilt God, the Father, spilt the blood of his own Son so that we could have life. How can we have righteousness? The body and the blood, the bread and the wine. How can we have peace with God? The body and the blood, the bread and the wine. Do you see it? Now, I want to encourage you of something, church family. Just because you sit in this room does not make you a Christian just as much as if I go and I sit in my garage doesn't make me a car. Right? It doesn't. Some of us are hoping that if I sit in here long enough, by osmosis, salvation will rub off on me. And that's not the way that it happens. Well, I was raised in a Christian home. That doesn't make you a Christian. Well, I was baptized. That doesn't make you a Christian. I prayed a prayer. That doesn't make you a Christian either. What makes you a Christian is abandoning all hope of saving yourself and being righteous apart from the blood of Christ. What makes you a Christian is not all the things that you can do, but abandoning all hope of having peace with God except through the broken body and shed blood of Jesus. That God sent Jesus, King of righteousness, King of peace, and priest of most high God forever to do what we couldn't do for ourselves. Some of us, we need to trust Jesus today. But right here, right in this moment, we're going to celebrate the Lord's Supper. So if you would, 
would you awkwardly, because <laughs> there's no other way to do it, there's two pieces of foil. There's one on the top. Rip the one on the top. Pull. There's a little piece of bread. Secondly, tear the second piece of foil. And there's your wine. Jesus came that day and he, he said, he took a loaf of bread, he, he broke that loaf, and he said, this is my body broken for you. Every time you eat it, do it in remembrance of me. Let's pray. Father, would you help us to consume the salvation that Jesus gave for us through a, a broken body and shed blood? We are not eating something physical, but we are trusting Christ's sacrifice. We're remembering that sacrifice. Help us to not do this in vain or in a meaningless way, but to honor you as our Savior and Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Let us commune together. Jesus took a cup of wine, poured it, passed it, and he said, this is the cup of my blood, the blood of the new covenant, my blood poured out for you for the forgiveness of sins. Drink it and do it in remembrance of me. Let's commune together. Let's pray one more time and we'll continue. Father, I beg of you that you would make, you would bring about the salvation of every person in this room who is separated from you. Father, please save, please sanctify, please make us more like Jesus. Please cut away the cords that we're trying to have hope in any other thing other than Jesus' blood and broken body. Thank you for Melchizedek pointing forward to Jesus. In your name we pray, amen. So we need peace with God. Peace with God. How in the world, or why do I have peace with God? Why do I have peace with God? It's because of righteousness. You and I can have peace with God because of righteousness. Don't miss this point. I want you to see the beauty of this passage. Isaiah chapter 32 says it this way. And the effect of righteousness, the king of righteousness, the, the Messiah who would come and bring righteousness to the world, the effect of righteousness will be what? Peace. And the result of righteousness, quietness and trust forever. Why can we have peace with God? We can have peace with God because of the righteousness that God has given you and me. Romans chapter 5 verse 1 says, Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have 
peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Many of us, may we've, we've never experienced the peace of God. For two reasons, maybe we're still at war with God. We're still enemies, or maybe two is because we're trying to impress God with our own righteousness. We're trying to work our way with our own actions, but it's through Jesus we can have peace. It brings up a very important question. Many of us would consider ourselves Christians. And we might ask the question, I get that, Ryan. I get that God saved me by grace through faith alone. But what if? What if as a Christian I sin again? I want to read to you. I want to go back to that Hebrews passage in chapter 7, verse 3. And it says this about Melchizedek and Jesus. He says, he is without father or mother or genealogy, having neither beginning of days nor end of life, but resembling the Son of God, he continues a priest forever. Jesus is a priest forever. What does a priest do? A priest would intercede on behalf of sinful man to a holy God. A priest would intercede. He would offer sacrifices to appease God's wrath that sinners might be forgiven. I want you to look at Hebrews chapter 7, verse 24 and 25. It says, but he, Jesus, holds this priesthood permanently because he continues forever. Consequently, he is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him. Isn't that good news? He can save to the uttermost. Listen to what that last phrase says. Since he always lives to make intercession for them. Romans chapter 8, verse 34 says it this way, Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. What do I do if I'm a Christian and I sin? Let me tell you what we do. Let me tell you what happens. When you and I sin as Christians, Jesus stands at the right hand of God, the hand of favor, and in the great throne room of God, and he appeals to God's mercy and his grace based on his completed and sufficient work on the cross. So every time we sin, Jesus is standing at the right hand of God going, Father, forgive them. Do you remember the cross? They trusted in the cross. Forgive them. Every time a Christian sins, it does not mean that God throws you away. You were a, a sinner when God saved you, and you can't out-sin His grace. If you didn't do a, a darn thing to work your way into heaven, let me tell you, you're not strong enough to work your way out of God's grip. Why? Because Jesus intercedes for you every day at the right hand of God. He appeals to his own sacrifice. He appeals to his broken body. He appeals to his shed blood every day. He appeals to his righteousness given to you and me through faith. We can have peace with God because of righteousness. Now there's the peace of God. And you guys got to listen fast. Peace with God deals with the eternal state of our souls. The peace of God has to do with everyday life. How is it, for instance, just follow me. How is it that someone can experience deep pain, suffering, loss, and yet remain joyful? Experience those things with grace? How is it that people can go through the most difficult of times with peace in their lives? How could Paul sing and praise God in prison? 
How could John worship exiled on the island of Patmos? How could Job say, blessed be the name of the Lord, after he had lost everything? How is it that you can have peace, the peace of God? How is that possible? Well, once we experience peace with God, God makes his peace available to us every day. His peace. God is in eternal shalom. He is, there's never a moment where God's up in heaven going, what do we do now? Ah! <laughs> Always at peace. And when we experience the peace with God through Jesus, the priest, God invites us into the peace of God. He ushers the peace of God into our lives every day. So how in the world, maybe you don't feel that peace. How in the world can I experience the peace of God? I want to give you five things. If you're taking notes, you can, these are real fast. Number one, the peace of God is a result of his lordship. It's a result of his lordship. Remember what Isaiah said? He says, you will call him the prince of peace. He's the king of peace. And if he's the king, he wants to be your Lord. And if he's not your Lord, you'll never experience his peace. Did you see? And so many of us, we lay our lives down on the altar of God. And then when times get difficult, we pick up our lives thinking that we can do it better than we or than he can. We take our very lives out of the hands of the king of peace. And we try to do it on our own. And we wonder why I don't have peace. And it's because I've not surrendered to his lordship. Peace is a direct result of his lordship in our lives. When he is lord of my life, we have access to the eternal peace of God. So my question is, have you surrendered your life to Jesus? What are you trying to do in your own strength? What are you trying to do of your own accord, and your own wisdom? What are you trying to do that God wants to do for you? What have you picked up back off the altar that you said you had laid down? What, what, are you, what, what is it? If you know what it is, I encourage you to surrender it because that's the only way into peace. Secondly, the peace of God is the gift of the Holy Spirit. It's the gift of the Holy Spirit. The fruit of the Spirit is love joy, peace. It's the fruit of God's Spirit. And most of us, when we don't experience the peace of God, it could be because we're not surrendered to His Lordship or because we're grieving the Spirit of God. We are not giving our lives to being filled with God's Holy Spirit. Now, He indwells every Christian but just because someone lives in my house doesn't mean they, they listen to everything that I say. Parents, amen? And just because the Holy Spirit dwells inside of you doesn't mean you're obedient to Him. But it, when we are, when we're walking in step with the Spirit of God, guess what we're going to experience in our life? The fruit of the Spirit, peace. Third, the peace of God is connected to our thought life connected to our thought life. You might have put these things together, but in Philippians chapter 4, verse 6 through 9, it says it like this, do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God and the, and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your heart and your mind in Christ Jesus. 
Then he says, Finally, brothers, whatever's true, whatever's honorable, whatever's just, whatever's pure, whatever's lovely, whatever's commendable, is, if there's any excellence, if there's anything worthy of praise, think about these things. Think about them. Focus your mind on them. What you've learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things and the God of peace will be with you. Here's my point. Um, peace is connected to the discipline of our thoughts. Why are we anxious sometimes? It's because we have an undisciplined thought process. When we're anxious, it's because our minds are wondering. Can I get an amen on that? You're letting your mind wander over things that you cannot control. So I'm anxious. But the fruit of a disciplined mind is the peace of God. He says, don't be anxious, but instead, turn the same energy of your mind to do something good. Instead of being anxious, what does he tell them to do? Pray. Give thanks. And if you pray and give thanks, instead of being anxious, God will give you His peace and it will guard you. He will station an army of peaceful warriors to guard your mind and your heart in Christ Jesus if you'll give your mind to the discipline of your thoughts. Pray. And then he says, whatever's pure, whatever's honorable, just, pure, holy, lovely, commendable, any excellence, anything worthy of praise, think about those things. Discipline your mind, brother or sister. We experience anxiety, a lack of peace, simply because our minds wander. Isaiah 26 verse 2 says, You keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you because he trusts in you. I love that. You keep him in perfect shalom. God, Yahweh, keeps you in perfect shalom when? It's, an, it's a conditional statement. If, when, your mind is stayed on him. You want peace? Work on becoming a more disciplined thinker. What do I think about? Well, I think about the character of God. Who is He? He is good. He is my Father. He is in control of all things. There's nothing impossible for God. He is my provider. He loves me despite me. Think about His character. He is faithful even when I'm faithless. Think about His character. Think about His promises. His good and precious promises. All the promises of God find their yes and amen in Jesus. Think about His promises. Think about the future. Well, Ryan, that's what gets me anxious. You're thinking about the wrong future. Don't, don't be thinking about next week. Be thinking about heaven. There's a, a peaceful rain coming. And it's not going to be a thousand years of peace. It's going to be an eternity of peace. And the lion will lay down with the lamb. And we're going to beat our swords into plowshares. There's a, come on now. Jesus is coming back. There is a second advent and he is coming. He is returning for his bride. And he will bring a peace like no other. And you will exist in that peace forever. Think about peace. I'm just getting warmed up. Quick. The peace of God comes from God's presence. Uh, if you caught it, uh, Mr. James, can you go back to that four, uh, Philippians 4, uh, verse 9? 
8 and 9, it, it says, practice these things, the last two phrases, practice these things and the God of peace will be with you. It comes from His presence. I want you to know God never leaves, but all of us are like sheep who wander. Have you noticed that? Stay in His presence. Five. Five. The peace of God is seen in our relationships with others. The best way to witness the level of our peace with God is to look at our peace with other people. Let me tell you something. If you are constantly at war with other people, there is a peace that you are lacking with God. There's a disconnect here with God if you're struggling here with people. This is a reflection of this. People listening one day on a podcast are going to go, what is the this and the this? Our horizontal relationship with mankind is a direct relation to a reflection of our relationship to God. When I lack peace with God, I'm going to lack peace with everybody else. I'm going to end with what Jesus said in John chapter 14. It's not on the screen. It's coming out of my brain right now. He says, my peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. It's not, not as the world gives to you do I give to you. When Jesus left, he wanted his children to experience his peace. Would that all of us be blessed are the peacemakers. Would that all of us live with a peace with God and a peace of God. Oh man, what a difference that'd make. And that is a gift that you can experience this Christmas. Would you stand with me and pray? Listen, if God's spoken to you, and, and you realize that you're lacking peace for some reason or another, please come use this altar, these steps, as, as a place to meet with the Lord. If you have never trusted in Jesus Christ as your Lord and your Savior, please don't leave this place without doing that. If you're afraid or ashamed to come down today, I, call me. You will be my first priority. And if you, you feel like maybe God's leading you to His church... And you want to take that next step of faith? You can do that too. Well, let's pray. Father, you've spoken through your word. Now would you speak and do a work through your spirit? Would you lead us and guide us to you? Thank you that your word never returns void. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. You respond as the Lord leads you and let's sing together.